0: Hey folks, before this episode of Podcast on Fire, I want to point you towards the store of our friends at Terracotta Distribution. At shop.terracottadistribution.com you'll find all titles from labels such as 88 Films, Arrow Video, CineAsia, Third Window, Eureka and of course Terracotta's own line of Hong Kong. Taiwanese, Korean, and Japanese titles. Find them at shop.terracotta distribution.com and podcast on fire network listeners. Get 10% off at checkout using the code Rose. That's capital E T E R N A L. Capital R O S E. Eternal Rose all in one word. Go to shop.terracotta distribution.com and now let's get on with the show. Welcome to a podcast on fire on the Eagle Shooting Heroes. Before there was a completed and released Ashes of Time, pretty much everyone that ended up being associated with it made something very, very stupid. Also, from Wise production company Jet Tone, company partner Jeff Lau directs an all star cast acting like loons in 1993's The Eagle Shooting Heroes. So, after we had a fairly heavy episode on Ashes of Time, this is our chance to unwind, I suppose, with. No, not so much a contemplative time with uh, the wuxia film. This is a wuxia comedy, so um, let's uh, let's get to it. My name is Kenneby and with me, uh, surely in the midst of uh, making his big or little Tony eagle shooting heroes costume, because it's nearly Halloween at the time of recording, is uh, Paul Fox of the East Screen West Screen podcast. So put down the needle and thread, Paul.
1: Hello, yes. Um, actually, I'm going with uh, Jackie Chung's Ashes of Time costume because it's basically just rags, and it's so much easier to do. So.
0: I would have, uh, I would have thought, uh, like uh, uh, putting two sausages sausages on the top of your lips would have been like, boom, I'm, I'm little Tony. <laughs> yeah, that works too. Uh, all right, righty, and also with me is the writer of uh, subtitles of the movies you like, and uh, the other half of uh, the East Screen uh, West Screen podcast that Paul Fox uh, hosts. Uh, but uh, Mister Kevin Myer is with us as well. So hello, buddy.
2: Hey, uh, I also do subtitles of movies you don't like. <laughs> Which 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 one, which one do you
1: do more of? That's what we. <laughs> <laughs> well, taste is subjective, Paul. So I, yes. I, I can't. Absolutely, I, can't I agree. Things. And there's there are so many movies that people don't like, that you probably subtitled that I do like. So I'm not knocking <laughs> on you at all. So please keep up the great work.
0: Or are you that damaged to the point where you watch movies for fun that you you, you sit there and watch? I could have done better. That's not right. That doesn't sound good like uh, for eagle shooting heroes is it like oh boy oh, 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 oh boy that's not right that that's now all of a sudden not funny sounds funny doesn't read funny
2: i'm not i'm not going to deny nor what's the other what's the opposite of deny? uh confirm <laughs> confirm
1: <laughs> that i do that
0: <laughs> but i do i hope you had some fun and you're not totally work damaged <laughs> so to so. say
1: did you or did you not uh, subtitle happy ghost versus young and dangerous <laughs> the world needs to know.
0: Don't say that like pe- 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 people say like oh he made up a funny. No he didn't. Like explain yourself. Add some context for kids. Like what what's happy ghost versus young and dangerous? Was that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh I definitely thing. didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's um it's it's starring uh let's see who's in it. Neumann, Norman Soy, Jason Chu, Vincent Wan, uh Wong well, yeah, Fei. Yeah, yeah. Can't
2: afford me, it's okay, they <laughs> can't afford me. <laughs>
0: Like the the Chinese streaming um uh, landscape is um is endless. It's now now you can just combine anything. So uh, as I said on Facebook, uh, let's uh, go with uh, Ugly Khan versus Meet Vampire. While we're at it, you know you're not gonna get Francis granted, but um but hey, it's cheap to have some anonymous persons uh, jumping around, uh, being uh being uh, hopping vampires. So uh, that's all fun. a movie like that exists, I'm still not in a mindset where I'm gonna sit down with one of these direct-to-streaming mainland Chinese movies, because clearly, Paul, if you watched it, that movie is like five minutes of fun concept, and then it's just a drag. Or you opted out of that one?
1: Yeah, I'm only speaking of this secondarily through uh, two other friends who I know have watched it, and I haven't I haven't gotten <laughs> to it yet because uh, there's other stuff on the pile uh, like the film that we watched today, which I'd rather watch probably five times over um, and have rather than uh, some of the stuff that's out there. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's 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 a weird but still amazing time that uh, this stuff is out there and that we have access to it, um, legal access to it um, in, 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 in through many channels. So uh, I'm not
0: complaining. Well, they're also shorter, heard like a 60, 70-minute um, mainland Chinese uh, director streaming uh, type of entertainment, and I suppose uh, that's always a good, um, good thing. I'm always, uh, I'm always for that. Anyway, that's not what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna do some quick contact information, then get into the details that um, we have here on Eagle Shooting Heroes and some analysis, of course. But uh, so some quick contact information from my side. Uh, This is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. And uh, for all all your Podcast on Fire network uh, needs and the back catalog of this show, including our episode that we have uh, done on Ashes of Time, uh, go to podcastonfire.com. We're also available, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, contact us uh, via email, podcast on fire at googlemail.com or the various uh, social media such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, all that good stuff. And I write about a variety of um, Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies uh, on uh, my website, so goodreviews.com. So I'm going to keep it short and throw it over to the guys. So why don't we start? Uh, off with uh, you, Paul. Uh, so um, in, uh, in your, your own words, uh, take half an hour if you like. What's your uh, podcast about or what can they, the kids find when they go to a podcast archive of yours?
1: Don't need 30 minutes. Don't even need 30 seconds. It is uh, East Screen, West Screen. You can find us at concast.com. It is a place where we uh, used to talk about Hong Kong c- cinema and uh, other stuff on occasion, uh, currently on hiatus because of life and uh, hopefully one day in the future we will be back uh, but uh my friend kevin also co-host uh he is uh, excellent and out and out there doing a lot of stuff so i'll let him tell you more about that
0: and 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 granted you know uh, guys the, this is obviously being released a little bit down the road so uh, let's uh twist your uh, plugging or flip your plugging a little bit kevin what um, has been released uh, this year that uh, you've um, you've worked on in uh, in the subtitling capacity for instance
2: Uh, Well, I can't list all of it because I kind of forget. I kind of (laughs) track.
0: So so famous. So famous.
2: (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh, The biggest thing I have out now is Anita, um, the Anita Marie biopic that's traveling around the world. And I will have a Lunar New Year comedy coming out called Table for Six that's starring Dale Wallen and uh, Steffi Tang and a whole bunch of people. It's from director of Men on the Dragon. I believe hopefully by the time this podcast is out, there's a release date announced for Salvation, which is the latest film starring child and fat and directed by Anthony Poon, who is the cinematographer for uh, films by Felix Chong, who also wrote the screenplay. So those are sort of the three big projects I've got that I know is coming. I've got a bunch of other stuff that I don't know they're waiting for release. though.
0: Excellent. Uh, We'll uh, all link to uh, your personal uh, endeavors on social media and uh, all that good stuff. But uh, let's uh, first of all, uh, before we take a little music break, uh, uh, give you a rundown of what's to expect here. We're doing a simple episode, but I thought I'd still give you a quick uh, summary of uh, what we got brewing here. So we'll uh, briefly look at the production history of Eagle Shooting Heroes, talk of its different versions to a degree, because as it turns out, um, the old video versions versus uh, the current video versions are a bit different. We'll talk about its uh, reception, box office wise, and then we review and discuss the fi- discuss the film. So a Chinese New Year comedy. Let's analyze that thing to death. You know, <laughs> sometimes, uh, why even bother? Uh, it exists for a reason. But um, it um, it was the logical pair up uh, across different episodes: Ashes of Time and vehicle shooting heroes but uh, we're going to take a a music uh, break 30 seconds or so and uh, we'll be uh, back to uh, start discussing it so sit tight and we'll be back (laughs) And welcome back. And uh, the review uh, and uh, movie up for discussion is the Eagle Shooting Heroes from 1993. And plot from the Love HK review, Love HK film review of the film. Uh, and it was one of those dual uh, plots. Uh, Kosa wrote one, and uh, the other writer, who I'm, whose name I'm blanking, wrote uh, uh, wrote a, a dual uh, reviews So to say, so we'll link to that. Anyway, his uh, summary goes as follows: the plot, if it can be called that. Goes something like this The evil but strangely pathetic Ouyang Feng, played by Tony Long Chiu Wai, and his cousin, played by Veronica Yip, have staged a coup, and their next steps are to hunt down a rebel princess, played by Bridget Lin, and discover the whereabouts of a secret martial arts manual known as the Book of Yin. During her escape, the princess uh, crosses paths with uh, Huang Yaoshi, played by Leslie Chung, and Su Chu, played by uh, Joey Wang. Uh, pardon me for butchering her character name, by the way, but anyway. Uh, the two of them have a romance uh, going on, but it's not exactly set in stone. After all, uh, Su Chu is the only woman Yao Shi has ever seen in his life, so when a beautiful princess walks into the picture, of course she's going to pique his interest. While hunting down the princess uh, for his uh, own ends, uh, Ouyang Feng uh, meets a suicidal but all-too-accomplished martial artist named Hong Chi, played by Jackie Chung, Oh Yang Feng tries to repeatedly kill his new friend but uh, fails again and again in ways Wily Coyote could relate. It seems Hong uh, Chi was uh, betrothed at birth to Su Chu and uh, through fate or plot contrivance they end up crossing paths to... Of course, she's still hung up on the Princess Smith and Yao Shi. Very complicated already. And finally, it's and it, as if there weren't enough mixed-up lovers already, the film throws one more into the mix uh, in, the form, in the form of Prince uh, Duan Wang Ye, played by Tony Lung Cafe, who's looking for the love of his life and the key to immortality, all in one person. And if this was a video podcast, we would sort of cue the, the meme from Spaceballs, where Rick Moranis leans towards the camera. Everybody got that? So, some background, uh, tracking back to the intro, that uh, this movie dropped before Ashes of Time, uh, these productions are sort of interlinked uh, by more than just referencing the source material by uh, Jin Yong, his uh, legend of the Condor Heroes uh, uh, universe, uh, his characters, they're being adapted across Ashes of Time and Eagle Shooting Heroes, but in terms of the production, of the story I read online, and if this is totally wrong, then uh, do inform me, since Ashes of Time was going over budget... Jet Tone, Wong Kar-wai's production company with Jeff Lau, set into motion to use the cost at their disposal, or star cost at their disposal, to shoot something audience friendly for the 1993 Chinese New Year film season. And uh, with uh, Jeff Lau taking writing and directing reigns and uh, with, uh, Wong Ka Wai producing, instead of Ashes of Time where uh, Wong Ka directed and wrote, the Eagle shooting heroes ended up grossing less, say, not uh, Wong Ka money, but rather... The profit, more money than you shot. represented by its uh, 23.4 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. And that made the film uh, the ninth most profitable local film of the year, trailing uh, Stephen Chow hits such as uh, The Floating Scholar, All's Well Ends Well 2, the drama Sale Mon Cherie, Fong Sayok, and the Jackie Chan film crime story I, I didn't prepare anything but uh, i might as well throw over to to you kevin for for some box office spontaneous analysis uh 23.4 million chinese new year 1993 not too shabby uh, if we look at the number and number nine at the end of the year
2: 1993 was a very interesting uh chinese new year because uh, back in the 90s 80s and 90s because the chinese new year slot well first of all chinese new year holiday was a bit longer and of course it's very lucrative at the time films so essentially, the Chinese New Year slot had two slots. So essentially, you have the first the first half, the first, I guess, the first section, the second section, because there's so many people trying to cash in on Chinese New Year. So Eagle Shooting Heroes actually came in the second Chinese New Year slot. It came uh, about two weeks after the Chinese New Year, um, or week and a half. In fact, the first, sorry, the first stage of Chinese New Year that year had Fight Back to School Free, which is a Stephen Chow um, sequel, of course, and City Hunter opening two days after fight back to school free and of course directed by the same guy wang jing you also have oswald as 2. that became the highest grossing film uh, of that that period um you also have East is west which also has bridget Lin, and then you have um uh, i think pretty much a week after eagle shooting heroes came out you have um once upon a time in china free um so it was a very very crowded period and um, in fact a bit funny because you see multiple stars of eagle shooting heroes having multiple films in that month. Um, which tells you how busy these, these actors are at that time. So twenty three million is pretty good for the second uh Chinese New Year slot. Um not great in terms of that cast, but uh considering where it's it was placed that year at that at that slot, it w- it did it did pretty good.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing uh floating scholar and all and well too were hovering around like the 40 even 50 million who knows uh hong kong million uh hong kong million dollar mark. Yeah, so it, it's it surely would have been trailing by 10 or 12 or 10 or 15. um but uh it's stephen chow after all uh, you know he was um uh, you couldn't then uh, knock him off uh easy in 1993 it would t- take a few years before uh, you could um...
2: well yes unlike i mean unlike fight back to school free flirting scholar was actually a stephen chow movie that people liked so <laughs>
0: I they like helped. fight. I like fight. Back to school free, but but I'm me. So and and I, and it's got Anita in it and it's a basic instinct parody and it drives an elevator. So drives an elevator. Yes, I said that. <laughs> and anyway, well. Um, we mentioned a little bit about... Uh, I mean, by the way, talk about choices. Uh, you know, it's a lot of them are classics uh, during the Chinese New Year alone, but that year alone, to talk about choices. I, do, do I go go and see City Hunter? Or, you know, uh, not Crime Story, but uh, Mad Rush between uh, theaters or just a packed Chinese New Year film season for each individual Europe, perhaps so it's something i will never get to experience i mean were you were you, being in hong kong and certainly when you lived in hong kong paul did you ever get a sense of oh wow this is what i heard of this is what the chinese new year sort of bus is like everyone's going going or you were a bit late to to hong kong personally uh, paul or and even having to sort of experience like the crowded season
1: it wasn't that was definitely the heyday back then i, I was about a decade late when we got stuff like Twins Mission and you know I mean it's like now now what now what do you have maybe one day a Wong movie for a Lunar New Year release these days uh yeah, you know so gone are the days of the even the like uh, I love Hong Kong movies or the the multiple uh, Raymond Wong you know ho- holiday New Year releases I I I long for those to come back let alone a heyday like uh, 1993. Um so yeah, it's a very different time indeed. And I mean Kevin's still there. He's on the ground, he's working it, and he's seeing it. So He's even got a better sense of the changes that have that have happened over these past two decades.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's now uh, a sort of a Hollywood versus Hong Kong battle. And of course, Hollywood always wins. But yeah, I mean, you still see people are still going to movies in Hong Kong. We still love going to movies. You go to the, the theaters, just even days before Chinese New Year, when advance ticket sales uh, start, you see lines um, outdoor at, at theaters because people would still flock to go see movies for Chinese New Year, just that they don't watch Hong Kong movies anymore. <laughs>
0: Well, well, we flip it even more now in the age of uh, COVID, and hopefully coming out of COVID. Have you noticed people um, going to the cinema more, or um, you haven't uh, gotten a grasp of that yet, uh, Kevin?
2: Well, I was actually at a theater today, but, um, but we 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 didn't have we didn't have a Chinese New Year slot this year because the theaters didn't reopen until after Chinese New Year, so that was sad. We lost our Chinese New Year films this year, but even last year, it was right before COVID really hit. Uh, I was at. The, the cinemas at Chinese New Year and I watched the Day of Wong film. I watched uh, the Raymond Wong film and it was it was pretty packed except we just saw people more people wearing masks. So people even the beginning and, and of course now um, when the big Hollywood films come out like I went to watch James Bond and, and the theaters were full. Uh, pretty full. So for the big blockbusters who still come out it's, it's the smaller films that sort of suffer. But then the thing is the smaller films always sort of suffer anyway. So I don't know right now
1: if less people watching films is because of COVID or is just because the, the product isn't attractive enough to them. Do they still have mask mandates and are they doing seat, uh, seating spacing, Kevin? Uh,
2: not, no more seating spacing. I mean, it, it, essentially, the theaters are asked to keep 15% or 85% capacity and the different theaters have different strategies. So, for example, um, they, they run two lines down down the, the cinemas, maybe just to blank out two lines of seats. I mean, straight lines, not co- like two columns, not rows. Or, or they would just not have the first couple of rows uh, they just block that out. But essentially, they're free to block out 15% however they want. So while mask mandates are still out, but um, essentially spacing doesn't really exist anymore. It's easy to sit next to someone now in the movie. Unless, unless you have like a group of 10, then obviously it, it, it wouldn't be easy to sit together.
0: What would a dynasty have done in the, in the age of COVID? People
2: would not have given a crap. That's what would happen.
1: People smoke in the Dynasty. Come on, you kind of wear masks. There you go.
0: This kills COVID, right? So sure, whatever.
1: <laughs> I would not. I would not have
2: gone to the Dynasty during COVID. Is this? Is just that theme oh. does not look like it has proper ventilation. I'm
1: saying. No, I would have gone all the time because nobody ever goes there. <laughs> Man, no, but the virus stays. <laughs> Yeah, that's where it was. That's that's that place is a petri dish, man. That yeah, was that's where it actually dish. came from. It's not yeah. the, the bat theory is wrong and, and, and the lab theory is wrong. It came from the dynasty. Yeah, like it, it it closed and, and it festered over time. So
0: <laughs> speaking of what I mentioned in terms of uh, different versions, I, I didn't notice this when watching the remastered DVD I got like two years ago. Um uh, but uh, it came to my attention uh, that the. Uh, quote-unquote Jet Tone remaster on both um, US and UK DVD as well as on Nova Media Blu-ray out of Korea. It's about 10 or 12 minutes shorter than the original Hong Kong version um, available uh, among other places on Hong Kong LaserDisc. Probably the earlier video version on, on DVD should be the full-length version. And for some reason, the victim of editing was reportedly largely Maggie Cheung whose role is reduced in this, uh, you know, retranslated, remastered version. And I can't offer up any theory as to why this happened, why this tinkering happened, or if they were forced into a corner. uh. So uh, we we talked about it a little beforehand, but let's get it out in the open. So if we start with you, Kevin, uh, what did you hear in terms of why this um, Shiny HD version version is um, so much shorter?
2: Yes, I did look it up uh, about why is a shorter version, and and apparently a lot of people did in Taiwan last asked last year when the remaster version uh, came out uh, in theaters last year. Um, so the distributor asked Jetong, and apparently, when Jetong was, I'm guessing they didn't have the rights to it for many years, right? I think I think landed somewhere, and when they got the print back to do the uh, remaster, and of course you see now there are brand new credits in this new version. When they did it, they realized that the 35 millimeter uh, master print of the film had a lot of damage. Um, And I'm guessing the footage that they deleted were stuff that was pretty much unsalvageable. So, I mean, that does happen a lot in Hong Kong cinema because copyrights get sort of murky and films don't get stored properly. I mean, if you look up um, what happened to Made in Hong Kong, uh, what, how Fu Chen or the company that handled the, the, the remaster had to do to get that film remastered because the original print was um, damaged because it was stored improperly. So I do believe that theory is that the film was improperly stored and a lot of the footage got damaged and it was uh, unsalvageable. So that's apparently what happened.
0: Yeah, this isn't the case of um, Wonka wai doing a redux on this. Uh, I, it really looked like... Um... I think that's also
2: what happened on Ashes of Time, actually. Same thing happened.
0: Partially, yeah, but he still uh, wanted to uh, exercise some creative uh, instincts that uh, he right. might not had the time to do uh, uh, back in the day, you know. And then, and, and as we discussed uh, last episode, remove some scenes that were sort of forced upon him, including action scenes. In Ashes of Time, so uh, you know it's such a wild film, so it's easy to forget. You watch ten minutes extra stuff on on the Laser Disc. I didn't rewatch that for this viewing. I, I, I stuck with my DVD version. But uh, uh, Paul, did you make any general comparisons between the versions? So could perhaps tell us uh, something about the missing scenes. Um, I mean, is that correct in your estimation? Is it Maggie that victim of uh, the negative damage? <laughs>
1: Yeah, the biggest section that I noticed that's missing um, in comparison, because I have, I have, I have the laserdisc. That I, I think it's the same. You have the LD2, Ken, mm-hmm. but there was also a, a a standard DVD release in Hong Kong that I'm very fortunate to have that still works. And so I watched that first um, before I watched um, the Blu-ray. And the most significant scene is there's a lengthy section in the beginning when Maggie Chung's character is first introduced. And I want to say that's a good seven to nine minutes long wow. and that's just gone. And basically, what happens is that the, it's that the film, after you kind of get introduced to the beginning of the story with the the characters of uh, Tony Lung and um, Bridget Lynn, and kind of the main plot and what's happening. Um, then uh, Tony Lung and Veronica Yips' character need to go find this character. They refer to it as the professor sometimes, or. She's, she's got another name, but they go and find her. It's Maggie Chung. She's got this crystal ball and she knows they're coming and she's trying. She wants to like get away and they have this whole big routine that involves the drum and and the centipedes in, in the tummies, which is kind of introduced in the scene prior. And that's all gone. So now it's just Maggie kind of sitting at the table with her crystal ball and Veronica and, and, and Tony Lung and talking about how they're going to catch up with Bridget Lynn's character and, and how. Maggie Chung can kind of help them with giving them, a, you know, a gadget, basically. And it, it's a shame because one of the great things about Maggie in this film is and it, it makes no sense. Uh, as far as I can tell, this character is a is a new creation, um, like Bridget Lin's character and a couple of the other characters, not somebody directly taken from, you know, the, the Jin Yong books or anything. And they get her And I don't know why, but it works. But they get her to speak in this really weird cadence throughout the film, and it's just funny. It's it's you know it's something that doesn't really translate well on the screen with the subtitles, but just the way she's speaking, and her words and her endings. It it's just fun and funny, and it's sad because you get more of that with you know sort of that intro scene that's no longer there. And one of the things I really wish they would do, especially with you know blu-rays and maybe it's something that they can do with a future release is i've seen some fan groups get together and basically crop clips from lots of other stuff when something's getting remastered and put together sort of like a fan edit i mean you could very easily take the missing scenes from the dvd and crop them in with the blu-ray and it's not going to look as great but i mean you'd have sort of the complete thing there um, for fans to view which i think would be great
0: I mean, if it's a stretch of footage, then I can very much, like un- uninterrupted stretch of footage, I can just very very much uh, imagine that uh, a large portion of one reel just was you know broken beyond repair. And uh, then they sort of did everything they could to sort of s- um, smoothly scene transition into her, her scene with the crystal ball, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, uh, you, you wonder if it was just like... Um, completely molded or just broken or uh but uh yeah i'm gonna keep up now i know what to look for yeah, when i rewatch it on um on um, on laser disc yeah. okay let's um let's uh, get on with the review here i mean it's a chinese new year comedy what else is there to say uh, did, did it satisfy audiences well it seemed like it did so uh, who are we to sort of sit here and analyze things but we're here to de- discuss uh whatever we can in a spontaneous manner. And and as for my short opinion, I think it's a heck of of a lot of fun, even if I don't realize why a lot of the times. Some references can be elusive, but uh, there's a pretty constant stream of star power lunacy and situations here. Uh, Some of it very physical. And... uh, the constant nature of the comedic banter and gags and visual humor can get a bit numbing in, uh, you know, a one hundred and one hundred and ten 110 minute package. But uh, nevertheless, I had a good time and that's all there is to say about it, really. So uh, let's go around the room for some short opinions first. And why don't we start with you, Kevin? Uh, what do you think? What do you think of Eagle Shooting Heroes? You, you must like it. You have it on shiny Blu-ray for heaven's sake.
2: Well, I, I kind of have it for completest to be completists, I think. But I mean, of course, I, I, it's a ton of fun. It's pretty much a live action cartoon. Um, and as someone who, as a child, did a lot of sort of these kids' role play games, you know, like you you become sort of martial art heroes and you make up really stupid moves and, and these things like that. I mean, it pretty much spoke to that that side of me, like that uh, nostalgic side, kind of. Oh yeah, I kind of did that dumb things like that when I was young. Except now they're doing it with stars who get paid millions and millions of dollars, and that's what it reminds me of. And to be honest, I. It's very hard for me to rewatch the film. I think it's fine to watch it in sections or if it's on TV or something. But if you if I have to sit there and 100 percent concentrate on it, it's a very exhausting film to watch because they throw so much at you. And it is one of those things because they were making it in such a rush that then Jeff Lau is just one of those um, really in your face sort of comedian or comedic um, uh, 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 creators, and he just sort of throws everything at the wall. And he's doing this very elaborate adult version of those childhood role play games, essentially, to make this live action cartoon. And it's fun, but exhausting. And I still think even in this shorter form, I still think that's how it is for me.
0: And what about you, Paul, during this um, HD uh, rewatch? Uh, did something happen with uh, your opinion of the movie, seeing it so, uh, so new and shiny and bright?
1: No, not at all. I, I mean, I do think that uh, with the newer release, um, they get the subtitles and some of the subcontext a, a bit better this time out than in, let's say, the Laserdisc or the old DVD version. This this is made for me. OK, this is the kind of stuff that I love. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, this and, and just the, the crazy zaniness, you know, you look at, um, you know, Wong Jing's... Uh, Street Fighter remake, you know, Future Cops, and, and I, I really love this kind of wacky creativity that just goes so far over the top, and I can put it on, and I it still may, there's stuff in this that just still makes me laugh. I've seen it at least a dozen times, and it, there are scenes that come on that just make me laugh, and even though I know they're coming, and not a lot of films can do that, and I do appreciate this film probably much more than, uh, say, a general Western audience that doesn't have the association with the characters now, um, but even like the first time I saw this, I was just like so blown away with everything that was going on. And it's interesting to compare it with Ashes of Time because where you know Ashes of Time is very different tonally, you do have um, you do have action effects, you do have fight choreography going on, and we talked a little bit about my some of my disappointment with the way that was presented in in, in the prior episode. And here, I mean, you've you've got that. You've got it amped up. I mean, they're undercranking, which a lot of people don't like, and and it's very visibly undercranked, in 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 the way that it shows things being sped up. And I know that turns people off, but I think it works for the cartoony nature of what they're going for here. But I think the action sequences here are much clearer than they were in Ashes of Time. They're much easier to follow, and they're they're a lot more fun.
0: Yeah, this isn't uh, the the Wonka Christopher Doyle pairing for the visuals. Um, uh, on my version, uh, they listed Peter Power and Andrew Lau as uh, cinematographers. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm thinking there's your, uh, you know, ejection of that style and this style emerges instead. So I think, you know, that's uh, choice, that sort of step printing choice, that blurry choice comes more from Wong kar and Christopher Doyle. Uh.
1: In that same vein though, what they're doing here with the fight choreography is nothing new. I mean, this was just a lot of it just seems like it was plan B left over from other films of the era. You know, um, th- that I, if you if you're familiar with a lot of the stuff like Moon Warriors and and the Wong Fei Hong films and a lot of it, it just looks so indicative of that era. Like, well, they, 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 they kind of had some of the same stunt people and let's get them in the same kind of lineup and, you know, using the same kind of wire rigging. And again, I, I they weren't going for anything. To be that innovative here because they they were more focused on the Lunar New Year comedy side of it, so it'll look very familiar for people who are familiar with the action sequences of this era.
0: Let me just ask something really quick. Uh, I know we've established it's a comedy and it's a cartoon and it's uh, done for 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 it, it gags. It's uh, but seeing as we have talked about uh, Legend of the Condor Heroes and Yin Yang and so forth, is this movie? at all attempting to depict something from the tv, TV series and the books uh, plot lines or it's just these are the characters you know them by name but we're going to use them for comedic and very stupid purposes or, or did you recognize some beats from ah, ah i've seen that in that tv series but now it's a little bit more funny i mean no the film starts with someone
2: some at uh, the persian king <laughs> like even the very first line saying yeah you, you you just use these guys names and then uh Everything else is made up by us. That's pretty much what the opening narration does. Like It's saying that, yeah, we just took the names and nothing here is associated with what these characters actually are. But it is a very interesting trivia for Wong Kar Wai fans because many of the cast, um, the main cast, are actually playing the roles that they were originally meant to play in Ashes of Time. So it's just because... Yeah, so they're playing the roles that they were going to play in Ashes of Time, and then after a month in, they're like, well, let's do this first, and then you guys come back and do these same roles, and then *One call his changes mind and recast it, most of the people. But these people are playing the roles that they were originally meant to play in Ashes of Time, and that's the most interesting connection it has to Ashes of Time. And so for Wong kar completists, that's, that's the big thing. But as like a, it's like a Jinron universe thing, like it's completely... Like has nothing to do with it. It's like it's like making a a movie starring the Marvel superheroes as babies, like a Ruckrats, rats a Marvel <laughs> Ruckrats. You know, like yeah, it has nothing to do with anything in the original comic book. It's just taking the name and doing silly things with it.
0: But then again, they do bring in the Frog Style in this one, which obviously wasn't part of the Ashes of Time universe. The Frog Style of Ouyang uh, Ouyang Feng. So at least you know we're we're closer to uh, that character's particular trademark style obviously it's used for comedic purposes here as well so um you know and, and we know that because it has a frog g- so symbol on his head like, aha that's a young thing
1: as kevin said right, right at the get-go they said we've taken these characters and 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 created a crazy story about them in their youth so it's it's a prequel of sorts to um the <laughs> legend of the condor heroes because again these characters are are the the old greats um and so this is them in in, in Supposedly in their younger days, but there's a lot of things that end up happening that you learn that they do kind of draw on from the background You know of the stories. So like um,
0: like the book of yin does that come from anywhere?
1: Yes The book of yin is 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 a is a big deal That's basically what everybody's trying to get in the the legend of the condor heroes the the nine yin manual And yeah, that's like forever. Yeah, that's a forever macguffin of the whole universe (laughs) yeah. and so, um, but you you have the five greats here, um as and you know that they were in their original roles as as Kevin was saying. Leslie here is playing Eastern Evil, Huang Yao Shu. And Little Tony is sort of the central character here as O oh Yo Feng or Western Poison. Big Tony is playing Southern King. So his role is different from what it was in, in Ashes of Time. and so is uh, you know, Little Tony's. But Jackie Chung's is the same. He's the only one that's the same. He's still playing Northern Beggar. Uh, Hong Chi Chong, but you know, you notice here he's 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 more like the northern beggar character. He's dressed like a beggar. They talk about beggar clan, and he's got his dog beating stick that shows he's the sort of the head of the clan. And you get Kenny B here as Central Divine. Not me, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kenny B. Kenny uh, B. As as Wong Choy Yang, and he is a character who you never see because by the start of the books he has actually died but he is the the best of the of of the group right he's the one they have they have this big martial arts meet and and he bested everybody basically um so he's like this legendary figure uh, among everybody and how did he die that's up for debate in in the books but here <laughs> <was> like, you <laughs> mean not a boot to the head <laughs> a boot to the head and I, I i don't think this was a reference to the great Canadian comedy album from the Phonetics where they have the song boot to the head at that, that very moment when, when you see that happen, because up to that point, yeah, there's crazy stuff going on, but when Kenny B gets a boot to the head and I, I mean, it's just, it <laughs> he becomes Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just, so it was not about
2: original, even, even Karina was supposed to cross dress as Joe Batong in ashes of time. Until, until of course that didn't happen. But she was exactly playing exactly what she was supposed to play as of time in in Eagle Shooting Heroes. It's kind of incredible, right?
0: You know, you know, Hong Kong cinema is in in the midst of Stephen Chow's reign, of course. So you would have other movies trying out the nonsense comedy and uh, deadpan performances, and it's the name of the game. But uh, this doesn't feel like a lazy Stephen Chow vehicle, you know. So it, it's it's really nice to see uh, this gathering of performers be a bit silly for once and not stern. And uh, here's a very silly sort of analytical question for the room. Are these per definition good comedic performers or it's just broad, loud, clownish acting that works for a Chinese New Year film? So, so what do you think, Kevin? Is there anyone that you think is really on the ball in terms of comedy or they're just being loud and decently funny at that?
2: Oh, I think I mean, obviously Tony Leung, uh both Tony Leung, to, both Tonys are, are incredibly great at, at, at comedies. And, and and of course, that's because of Jeff. I mean, Jeff Lau is the brains of the operation, very much the brains of the operation when it comes to comedy and in Wong Kar Wai films and even in the Stephen Chow films. He worked with Stephen Chow, of course, a, a few years after that on, um, on a few films. So obviously you can tell that he's very much the sort of fast thinking brains of the operation. And of course, as a director, he can't just let everyone go mad. In fact, he probably had to get... Little Tony, uh, Tony Long l- l- why to to go a bit louder than usual, and whereas or tone down Tony l- kawai, I guess. <laughs> um, and of course, Maggie is surprisingly funny to even get that kind of comedic performance out. Of Maggie is is pretty amazing. That's again, I think that's very much Jeff Lau's work. Same for lesson I think I think Je- Jeff Lau is uh, more clever filmmaker than than we give him credit to be like yes we know that he's incredibly creative but i think he also really knows how to work with actors because every time he makes a film he knows how to handle these huge casts and again he's very much the man, sort of the producer, the brains behind Wonka Y. He is, he he is the um, he's equally um, on on the same level as Wonka in terms of creativity, and they are very good collaborators.
0: I mean, they had had that collaboration a few years earlier, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just going by memory, and my mem- memory is broken most of the time. Uh, back in the Haunted Cop Shop days, at least one of them was scripted. Sorry, of say scripted. I mean, made up on the spot by Wonka credited to Wonka So they have a working relationship making comedies and uh, b- back in those days making Haunted Cop Shop those were beautifully comedic and energetic films uh, that's a style I really latched onto he, mm, Jeff Lauda, is knew how to make these the scenarios, uh, scenarios move and, uh, and it's not refined or original comedy perhaps but this is very fun and uh, it doesn't seem like sort of point the camera and just do random crap uh, type of uh, uh, comedy depictions or anything. So I think that extends to Eagle Shooting Heroes uh, which is why it makes very much sense that Jeff Lau is heading this because um, this is in his wheelhouse, uh, clearly. And uh, to see all of them uh, respond uh, in ways that feel familiar, yeah, it's a deadpan, it's a nonsense comedy. But it really tickled me all throughout, uh, especially physical harm comedy. Uh, the gag with the Bridget Lynn's rather shaky Technique of the tsunami punch, when she executes that, but it sort of is random. No one knows where it's gonna strike. And then it strikes Veronica, yip, and there's a big explosion, and she goes ah, and then you know, obviously there's a big wire shot where she falls down like ten meters away from that. That stuff never fails in the in the case of this movie. And uh, as as Jeff Lauhand said, it never fails to tickle me because uh, it's the timing of it all. It's very silly that her. Punch, tsunami Punch is um, that unrefined, that it's not working properly.
2: Yeah, I have two things to bring. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, it came at a time, the 80s and 90s, also at a time where Japanese comic books were very huge in, in Hong Kong pop culture. And they they were the one, I think they introduced a lot of that sort of nonsense comedy into our our pop culture. And I think um, our filmmakers just sort of refined it and made it sillier than it is. But I mean, I grew up watching a lot of those really silly anime and reading those those comic books. I can't remember exactly which one, but we there were a ton, like we had a ton, way more than you could imagine so that i think has a big influence and two jeff lao on jeff lao films he writes under a pseudonym um pseudonym gayon uh, i don't know what the what the uh english name is but wong kawai has pretty much said gayon this name isn't just jeff lao it's actually both him and and jeff lao it's wong kawai and jeff lao working together and that's when they credit as Gaon. so on a chinese odyssey 2002 um even though it is uh directing under credit under jeff Lau, um the script is under gayon which is wang Y and jeff Lau. so wang Y could definitely write comedy and i think he had a pretty heavy hand in that film as well so um mm-hmm. and i wouldn't be surprised uh if he had a similarly heavy hand in this film in terms of basically the the writing in the film too and again he tried that on um as uh, recent as uh, see you tomorrow or i think it was uh from 2018 20, no actually 2017 sorry 2017 and that was when he uh, Wong also had a very heavy hand, even though he's just a producer, but he also had a very heavy hand because it was a very long shoot and Wong Kar Wai stepped in and directed some stuff. And I'm pretty sure he also helped the script. And that was a very wild, sort of big, broad, um, silly nonsense comedy as well. So um, I think as much as I want, do give Jet La credit, but I think we should also give Wong Kar Wai some credit in terms of actually doing these silly comedies as well.
0: Yeah, I'm glad he never left that. Uh permanently in the review mirror of the uh, breaking as a director considering we got the likes of Chinese Odyssey 2002 I remember watching like, yeah, this works and I like that these guys are combining to do this uh, so they're not stuck in uh, drama mode and art mode uh, in the case of uh, Wonka Wai so that was very, very lovely if we go back to that that question there, Paul, uh, to you Paul uh, you know, across the board, do you think uh, these got the uh, comedy down as as steered and directed by by Jeff Lau? Or the, and does anyone stand out for you uh, that uh, sort of steals the movie uh, on in a comedic sense?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, you know, there's definitely some, like I said, some moments that I always come back to. It is, it is a musical <laughs> because there's <laughs> actually a couple of musical numbers um, which are great and which are themselves, you know, playing to the. Other film genres, right? So you've got some Huang Mei opera style thrown in.
0: That was the only thing I found elusive, by the way, the latter uh, musical numbers. And one thing that cropped up in my head, are they doing any riffing on Love Attorney here? I mean, it's not the song, songs yeah. uh, specifically, I don't think, anyway. Uh, not as orchestrated here. But uh, it was the only thing that I'm not sure I'm getting it, but it looks like they're having a good time.
1: They're really playing with that genre, maybe not that film specifically, but if you look at how joey uh, Joey Wong and and Leslie Chung are dressed, you know that that sort of sort of like a Huang Mei style of of uniform that they're wearing as opposed to like the way that Karina's dressed and the other you know the other characters dressed. Tony's got this kind of like because he's he's from the West, so you know he's got you know this this more Western Asia style thing going. And then, of course, you've got uh, Jackie, who's just dressed as a beggar. And, and the two of them together, you know, again, those characters in the novels do have this kind of ongoing rivalry for a very long time. They're kind of frenemies. And the way that they play back and forth here and Tony, just little Tony, just becomes the brunt of everything. I mean, You know, he's nicknamed Western Poison, and he ends up getting poisoned. (laughs) He (laughs) poisons himself. (laughs) You you, you get the the iconic sausage lips. So they really know how to play with that, but also just mixing in so many other things. The flying boots. I mean, just so stupid, but so funny. And then the thing that gets me all the time, though, is for whatever reason, Tony Lung's character, his goal is to become an immortal. And in order to do that, he has to find... His soulmate, his one true love, and get them to say, uh, I love you three times, right? And for whatever reason, it ends up being Leslie's character. And then they go through this whole thing where he says it two times, <laughs> not <laughs> the third time, and he becomes like a disembodied head and he's just flying around. They end up playing soccer, and then they do this thing where time is river, and it's just, it's crazy. And then out of the blue, at a certain point, Tony sings a song. <laughs> <laughs> and, and cross dresses, and and it's just it's so silly and and but I it gets me every time just seeing him singing the song because it's a pretty good song I mean he's a good singer, and at the same time it's just so silly in the way he's dressed and he's got these hair things from the period dress that keep changing in every scene <laughs> and it would have been great to be a fly on the wall when they're sitting around coming up with like what concepts are we going to do was this stuff that they were that was their day one or was this just stuff that they were just saying on set hey let's let's do this and and let's try this you know you know it's super zany the the closest thing you can kind of get to as a western example you already mentioned is something like space balls right but if space balls instead of creating their own characters actually kept the names of the characters you know instead of darth helmet it was Rick Moranis as Darth Vader, right? So you get that. You get, you know, sort of Lego stuff with the Lego Star Wars and the Lego Batman, sort of franchises where they're parodying stuff. You get the scary movies that you know parody horror films and stuff like that. That stuff gets close, but it still is not quite on the same level of of this in terms of the way they kind of push things. I think.
0: By the way, also Hong Kong cinema at this time also meant that uh, a select few actresses, uh, could uh, get a start in Category 3 soft porn and then make a transition to mainstream, if you had talent. Uh, I honestly think Rona Gaye did have talent. Uh, she was in a handful of very good uh, dramatic roles. Not so sure she is the comedic gem of the film, necessarily, but there's some very funny jokes involving her. Uh, again, the physical uh, the, f- the, the physical humor, uh, some explosions going, going on around her and then she flies away. Yeah and that's good enough but uh, if, if anyone is not uh, the gem of this uh, piece I think that's uh, her but I love seeing her because I always thought she was um, talented and started to uh, break out of that uh, category 3 mold quite um, effectively um, and, and also obviously we, we touched upon it it's relentlessly paced but it's not overwhelming at, uh, on you know the retranslated versions it doesn't feel overwhelming I can imagine going back to the Hong Kong Laserdisc and I'm as lost as I was back then I don't get this what's going on Yes, uh, I have a feeling the translation is of the variety you would expect, but uh, then again, you can just sit back and and enjoy and enjoy seeing Tony Long in his frog style mode crash, and then he hangs off a branch at the one point and says, "Every bone is broken, I can't move," and that tickles me every time. The idea of he's just hanging there over the uh, you know it's uh, there's, there's only a branch holding him up, and there's a big plunge, otherwise and uh, the, the dialogue every bone is broken i can't move <laughs> is is something and that means t- tony lung is uh, as chinese odyssey 2002 certainly confirmed to me later he's willing to play and and then some and certainly is not an actor with an ego because he's ver- also very much willing to look like an absolute fool like, like uh, I don't know if he com- uh, comments himself or if it's Jackie or someone else that says he's a walking Bruce and I thought that, wow wow what a <laughs> wonderful description because after a while he just gets Im- increasingly messed up you know Wiley Coyote style or Tom and Jerry style so uh, so I, I think uh, he was uh, as an immensely busy actor to be willing to play so hardcore I think is uh, is wonderful we're not going to f- go for all the gags but I'm going to ask a very uh, ignorant question. I I found it funny but I didn't get it. Why was Big Tony speaking to English to himself? Because he plays two characters.
2: I mean, that was just play for It's just play for fun. I mean, yeah, we, we we do the whole having people speak I don't know. I, I you know, you, you explain your joke is not funny anymore. It's just one of those things where oh, it's funny to hear people in that period speak speak English. It's just sort of funny to us. Yeah. You know, it's it's the whole, like, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like hearing uh, people in period films speak in, like, you know, 20th century internet speak, I guess, I suppose. I mean, it's the same kind of idea. It's like, yeah, it's the most unlikely place you hear English, and there they are speaking. I mean, that's a joke.
0: Uh, and it's easy to miss that uh, he's, uh, he has dual roles here. Uh, like He's got his main role, uh, Big Tony, and then uh, 30 seconds of uh, and uh, another role here, an elder version.
1: Yeah, I mean, to some extent too, maybe worth pointing out. So Kenny B's character, uh, Wang Choyang, and then um, Big Tony's character, who uh, Prince Duan, who later becomes known as Reverend Yi Dang, both real characters in history. And and so this is one of the things that Jin Yong did. He created fictional characters, but he also placed them in historical settings. And some of the characters were real as well. And he took some creative license with, with them and their history. The 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 character that he's playing here was um, originally a, a king of a, of a small kingdom who gave up at a, at a certain point his basically royal name and and went on to become an aesthetic, a monk. I guess it's it's kind of like you know by having him there and and speaking English and and just being silly, you know, it's it's also a little bit of a reflection on on that. Like if you take a historical character and make them do something that's you know, really out of context. I mean, and, and I think with the way he's speaking English too, the cadence, just like with um, with Maggie's and, and the cadence that she's speaking her Chinese, th- there's some humor in, in that as well. And it, for, for me, it works. I I, I I like it. And especially by the end, because again, as I said, his his sort of through plot line is he's trying to become an immortal. And for people who are familiar with uh, other sort of pop culture characters, when he does become an immortal He's dressed as um, Ji Gong, which is sort of this famous uh, immortal character, um, famously played a year later by um, Stephen Chow in The Mad Monk, right? So it's the character who who carries around, you know, the fan, the broken sort of palm frond fan, um, and has been played umpteen times by Benny Chan now in mainland China
0: films, so... (laughs) You didn't mention it, Paul. If you, me and Kevin were sort of in agreement that after a while, I mean, it's funny, but after a while, it, it gets exhausting. And I think I could pinpoint sort of the, where it's where I started to log off a little bit <laughs> from the movie. And I guess it's it's the big in sequence where everybody is gathered at the end, and you got various crisscrossing of characters and meetings. And I got a little bit lost in terms of what Karina La was doing there and her clan fellas and what their motives were but again it's a comedy so just focus on the book of yin thing and uh, because jeff Lau never really loses sight of the amusing at least but uh there, there was a lot of verbal banter there not as much physical banter but you know it just doesn't take that long to get into some good stuff again and the Uh, what was it translated as the free flower bloom technique that Karina Lau executes that goes forwards but then reverses very quickly it's super stupid but it's wonderful because uh, (laughs) it uh, it goes forward and reverses while people are peeing and trying to murder each other therefore the pee goes up up in the body and the knife retracts and then you repeat that and you got uh, comedy gold but uh, Jeff Lau uh, carries that uh, uh, you know he pulls that off but within this sequence probably before that thing happened with the free flower bloom technique i, I was kind of getting restless and it felt a little bit long so I, I think i could pinpoint it for me so if i asked you kevin is that a s- sequence that you sort of check out of or or what do you remember about that
2: it, it, again, it, it's kind of a movie where it's very hard for me to pay like 100% attention like all the time, and and, and it's exhausting, but I suppose probably my favorite is the one that goes the longest, is the fight between uh, Hong Chi and uh, Aoyan Fong, and Aoyan Feng keeps poisoning, it, which is like the ultimate, which become ultimately became sort of the ultimate Stephen Chow gag, where he keeps sort of screwing over himself, and, and it does work. Every time that someone uses it, it somehow works, just like when Steven Chow used it in Kung Fu Hustle, it worked. Here, it also works when Tony Lung keeps poisoning himself. Yeah, for me, that's sort of the one gag. And of course, Tung, uh, Lung ka saw song at the end, uh, towards the end of the film, that was just incredibly, incredibly stupid.
0: Yeah, you knew <laughs> that Invisible Bees, uh, they were not gonna work when uh, the, sor- oh, yeah. the sorcerer <laughs> handed that to Tony Long. You just knew that uh, I don't trust that technique. And uh, sure enough, uh, but but yeah, I I I gather you Paul that you 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 feel that there's a good uh, momentum and pace and not uh, any lag in the comedic momentum uh, for you personally, uh, despite this movie being uh, as long as it is.
1: No, I do think that you know I'm 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 kind of in the same boat with you guys that I, it's something that I can just throw on and I know it so well that I don't know you know I don't have to sit there in the room and continuously watch it anymore. But um, it can you know you know there there are points when you kind of want to stop and and take a breather for sure for me i think one of the big ones is uh, when they get to white bone cave looking for uh the Yin manual and i think it's initially uh it's initially joey wong or no it's bridget lynn with uh leslie leslie and and this is a point where i think some people are going to like go oh, i'm not watching this what is this nonsense um because you have three very bad animal suits um a gorilla <laughs> suit Uh, a giant bird and what looks like a dragon with one horn or maybe a giant iguana. Okay. Now this is speculation on my part. Maybe one day somebody will sit down and, and get clarity on this with, with the filmmakers. But I'm, I'm pretty certain that the gorilla suit and the condor or the bird suit were on loan from TVB. I'm pretty (laughs) sure. I'm pretty sure that the condor suit was the same one used in, the Andy Lau TVB version of Return of the Condor Heroes. You
0: mean you mean ten years earlier? It just looks too familiar. It looks, it looks broken. It looks worn. I, I don't yeah. think,
2: I don't think they they are making multiple gorilla suits at yeah. to, for use in Hong Kong at the time anyway for films. I don't yeah. think there's a huge demand for gorilla suits. So I don't and think so, it was like a, yeah.
1: So Little Tony worked on the third version. The the. Uh, heaven sword dragon saber okay he was the protagonist in tvb's heaven sword dragon saber that came after andy's return of the condor heroes and in that one there is a plot line with a giant monkey okay that's that's important i'm imagining that might have been the suit they used i didn't see that one um myself but my, my guess is that these were on loan from tv because they looked like tvb suits that were used in in that era and the preceding era uh, the the thing that happened was that a year later, 1994, after this film came out, TVB had a big studio warehouse fire. And I, I was fortunate enough in the early 2000s to go on a, a studio tour with TVB, and the tour guide was telling us all about the fire. and And he was explaining that they lost lots of props from the earlier years and lots and lots of costumes that were just gone. And I'm guessing that these were some of the costumes that went up in that fire. So... Uh, maybe, you know, there's there's no way to validate any of this. But uh, yeah, that's my guess is is that for fans of the quote unquote multiverse here, they, they there's some recognition in, in, in that in those TVB costumes, I think. And I guess that adds to a little bit of the humor. Or maybe I'm wrong. And maybe they were just they just went to the local store and <laughs> had somebody slap some stuff together because they look really bad.
2: This is where I comment on subtitles. It was funny because so you see the, the the gorilla, the condor, and the third thing. The joke is you don't know what it is. I mean, in the, but the thing is, in the English subtitles, um, I think it was Leslie who says, "There, there's a there's a sparrow in a, or there's a bird, a gorilla, and a dinosaur in there." But then actually, what Leslie said is, "There's a bird." And there's a a, a, um, there's a bird as a gorilla. And I don't know what that third thing is in there. And that's actually the joke It's like, yeah, no one knows what that third thing because this costume is so ugly and no one knows what the hell it is. It's even supposed to be a dinosaur. It looks nothing like a dinosaur. Uh, So that's my little bit of criticism of the subtitles there.
0: And and speaking of that, it it didn't come off as a as a con uh, as a movie with a constant stream of untranslatable um, uh puns and uh verbal gags um it, it really came off as a mixture as opposed of all of that but seeing as it isn't elusive as such in translated form clearly jeff lau wasn't aiming for this intricate 100 minutes of wordplay would that be would that be fair
2: there aren't a lot of puns but the thing is cantonese can be very dense we can explain we can we can talk we can express a lot of things with very little words, so there is limited space um, to to cover all of that in English subtitles. Fair, I'm pretty much okay with the English subtitles. I, I did watch it with the English subtitles, and I put my critical eye on it. And most of it is, is pretty much okay. It's pretty okay. My only criticism is that is that it doesn't quite carry the tone of a lot of the dialogue correctly, or, or it doesn't do enough to convey that, that the, the the tone. But of course, since a lot of uh, humor is, is physical, uh, physical and visual anyway, so it's not that bad. But in terms of verbal humor, um, a lot of it isn't really in the dialogue itself, but in the tone, the way that they were expressed. So for example, Maggie, the way that Maggie speaks, I would have, if I was a kind, I would have worked a little harder at trying to create that little pause between the ends. I would have done a little more with um, punctuation um, and things like that to, to sort of, carry the tongues over but i think uh in terms of uh this being a very very difficult trend to translate film, it is very very difficult to translate and you do have to drop a lot of information along the way i think it's a solid job
0: so so yeah um i'll i'll leave it to you guys if you want to share anything else so what about you paul anything else you want to highlight
1: this is certainly a crazy film and maybe one that uh Many won't like and many will find unapproachable, but I'm glad that uh, even though it's been cut down, we do have uh, some nicer versions out there, both uh, in Blu-ray and uh, DVD form. So uh, availability is not an issue for this uh, that it it once was. It's a great way to sort of get introduced to this world if you're not familiar with it um, through some silliness and maybe it'll lead you on to some other stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if this is like a good starter film for anyone. It is not going to make any sense for. Uh, I'm surprised that this is on a Criterion channel of all places because I, I have the Criterion channel and I was like, Eagle Shooting Heroes? What? Like, it is an incredibly difficult to uh, film to penetrate Um, if you're like, you've never seen a Hong Kong film or something like that, or never seen an Asian film, or um, never seen a Hong Kong comedy. But um, it is a lot of fun and it remains a uh, Chinese New Year comedy classic, at least in this part of the world. And there's a good reason why. It's very funny. The stars are very funny. And for people who are accustomed to this sort of comedy, I think it is certainly a classic and one of those films that you can just, you know, put on the TV at any random point and just sort of let it run and you can sort of watch it in and out and it still makes you laugh. And that's I think that's the really the mark of um, what makes a great New New Year comedy is how much you can just go back and sort of re-watch it and enjoy it and yeah, instead of just judging it on first viewing.
0: I very much agree, and uh, so it comes recommended, and as for availability. The DVD remaster is available uh, on UK and US DVD, and um, the the UK DVD is a little bit more readily available for a reasonable price. But as I was informed uh, putting uh, this show together, Nova Media also released the Blu ray in Korea. It's English subtitled, presumably the same subtitle translation that's on the US and UK versions. uh, But but, uh, as with the DVD versions, uh, the remastered ones, it is also the shorter cuts and uh, as we discussed uh, if you can't find it uh, from Nova Media directly there are listings on eBay that have been uh, in my eyes quite reasonably uh, uh, priced so um, and Nova Media picking some sort of uh, I wouldn't say obscure titles but titles that are a little bit uh, left field not necessarily this one but, but they have some uh, stuff that's uh, still unique to them at this point anyway in terms of Blu-ray so I'm um, they're, they're, they're a um, label to sort of keep um, uh, keep track of. So uh, at one point, I'm going to try and upgrade this since I, since I do like it as well. So uh, uh, But yeah, that's uh, us, I suppose, for the whole Condor Heroes saga. For now, we're not going to do a whole Condor Heroes saga. This was a sort of dip into it for, for now anyway. And uh, we're going to head out. So uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. Uh, check out uh, all the relevant links connected to the episode placed in the show post uh, including uh, the social media links and uh, trailers and uh, I'm, I'm gonna find the uh, YouTube link that uh, Kevin uh, unearthed uh, from uh, what was it the cost of eagle shooting Heroes. doing promotion in Taiwan so it's a it's a television thing but the neat thing about that is they brought a um, an outtake reel with uh, quite rare bloopers and also the site of uh, action director summer Hong shooting the action but he's actually on a wire himself and they're using him as a, sort of a human swing set to get the shot <laughs> uh, shot needed for, uh, for the action and I think that's um, a wonderful insight because uh, one, you, you, that's how he saw it, that's how you shoot it but also it's clear that this was uh, a fun movie to make to, you know, having to stare into that sausage mouth. And do dialogue. Obviously, Jackie Chung and Tony Long are gonna crack each other up. Uh, so, and Bridget Lin falls off her horse.
2: But the cast also looks very exhausted from because probably just they probably just finished shooting like two weeks before, so <laughs> they look very exhausted and, and and very scared to talk so much in in, in Mandarin. Of course, except for like Bridget and, and Joey, they were like at home. So,
0: uh, But it's a neat little thing that uh, Kevin found so I'm going to link to that as well. One of those time capsules that uh, uh, that rarely gets. Uh, uh, you know, we don't see these on disc releases, uh, these things, because uh, they're, they're impossible, so to track down and clear, I suppose. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it's funny though. Uh, speaking of uh, old promotional pieces, uh, 88 films in the UK have been uh, putting these. Uh, I don't know what the English name of the show is, but it's like a show that the, maybe James Wong hosted, a movie show with movie profiles, and they have taken those for like they had the cast of a Rotty Ghost story, for instance, on that. A show and had, they were on the set and talking to them. So they brought that talk show that I think James Wong hosted and put them, you know, were able to license them and clear them and put uh, subtitles on them for the, uh, for the UK Blu-ray or for, for instance a Erotic Ghost Story. So there is a, an archive of sorts um, of uh, very valuable uh, promotional uh, pieces uh, from tv and what have you uh, in, uh, in the 90s in this case that um that can still uh, be brought out on disc and that's a very cool um that's a very cool thing actually so want to throw out uh, another little plug for for the podcast paul and then we'll uh, throw over to over to kevin to uh, plug his uh, plug his empire
1: as yes, you can find our shows at uh, concast.com and that is uh, east screen west screen and uh, if you're so inclined please do do some searches for um, the film mini film festivals. Sometimes online, sometimes not. Called Sophia's Choice uh, presents because our very own Kevin Ma is uh, doing some of the interviews with directors and um, and cast members for current films. And sometimes these are online, and and you can see them. Uh, not always, and you know, there's region stuff involved. But uh, if you're if you're inclined, do look for that stuff because he does some really great work there.
2: I also do some i've been doing a lot of these sort of zoom interviews uh with with uh talents and directors and stuff like that so uh i think asian pop-up cinema has a vimeo channel that that's sophia's that's a film festival under sophia's choice so you look up vimeo.com slash i think asian pop-up cinema i think you or just look up asian pop-up cinema vimeo i think you can find some of those interviews which i also um translate myself but for me if you want to follow me constantly uh which i don't know why anyone would want to do that uh you could Go on Twitter and look me up. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, at the Golden Rock.
0: Excellent, guys. We'll link to all your endeavors. And uh, thank you for uh, taking this uh, trip down Condor Condor Heroes memory lane. Because uh, it's not pure knowledge to me. It's not standard knowledge to me how, you know, how these penetrated, these stores penetrated the media landscape. And I wanted to touch upon that across Vashes of Time episode and this episode. And uh, I'm very thankful for you guys for, for taking the time but also uh, adding the perspective that I simply cannot uh, myself, you know, being aware and being fans at the same time. So uh, thank you guys for for that and uh, don't call yourself a nerd, Paul, by the way, next up because uh, this is pure knowledge, Paul, uh, that you're providing uh, being a fan of the Condor Heroes uh, universe and can sort of recite uh, Plotting intricacies uh, of the topic we had, but uh, regardless, thank you very much, guys. And that's also gonna do a proper sign off. So, I've uh, been Canaby and uh, with me was uh, Paul Fox of the East Green West Green podcast and Kevin Ma of the East Green West Green podcast. So, say tata, guys. Bye bye. Thank you.
2: Bye.